Uh, if you have your Bibles, open up to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. This morning we are going to be finishing Mark chapter 2 and actually beginning Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 2, uh, verse 23. Give you a second to get there. If you're not there, you don't have a Bible. The words will be on the screen as well. Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 23, the Bible says, Now it happened that he went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. And as they went, his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain. And the Pharisees said to him, Look, why do they do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? But he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and hungry, he and those with him? How he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the showbread, which is not lawful to eat except for the priest, and also gave some to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. Chapter 3, verse 1. And he entered the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a withered hand. So they watched him closely, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, step forward. Then he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they kept silence. And when he had looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored as whole as the other. And the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians against him, how they might destroy him. Let's begin with a word of prayer, and then we'll dive into the text. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word, Lord. Lord, I pray that as we look at these verses in Mark, that you would just help us, that you would challenge us, that you would convict us here this morning, Lord. Lord, that we would leave here um, knowing more about you and wanting to live a life for you, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would empty me of self, forgive me of sin, that you would fill me with your spirit. Lord, I pray for freedom in the pulpit, that you would help me to be clear, that you would help me to be concise. Lord, and most importantly, that you would exalt Christ. Lord, I pray that you would be glorified through the preaching of your word. Lord, if there's somebody here this morning that is hurting, that does not know you, that you would use the words of this passage to comfort them, to help them, to show them the hope that is found in Christ alone, Lord. We love you. Thank you for all you do in Christ's name. Amen. As we begin our message this morning, the question that I want to raise to us to think about is what makes Jesus mad? What is it that makes Jesus mad? I'm sure that even as I ask that question, we all have different scenarios and ideas that are running through our minds and our hearts. We're thinking about maybe things that we've done that make Jesus mad, things we've seen other people do that makes Jesus mad. Maybe we're thinking of the world that we live in, sin. Or maybe we're thinking of Satan, right? Satan makes Jesus mad. You know, and as you look at Scripture, though, there are actually a few instances that are recorded for us where Jesus became angry. Jesus was angry in the temple when he flipped the table of the money changers. 
We saw at the end of Mark chapter 1 how when the leper came to Jesus to be healed, that Jesus was angry with sin, with the effects that sin had on what he had created to be good. And as we come to our text this morning, we find Jesus angry with the religious leaders of the day. You know, all throughout Jesus' ministry, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the doctors of law, they were a constant thorn in Jesus' side. The religious leaders had lots of gripes with Jesus. They were mad at Jesus because he claimed equality with God. They were mad at Jesus because he came on the scene and had this large crowd following him. But more often than not, the Pharisees and the religious leaders were mad at Jesus because he disregarded the traditions of the Jews. And as we look in Scripture, what we learn is that Jesus did not come to uphold traditions. That's what he told them in Mark chapter 2, verses 18 through 22, when they were mad that him and his disciples did not fast. Jesus said, I didn't come to perpetuate the old. I came to do something new. Jesus came to transform hearts. For any student of Scripture or a person familiar with the teachings of Christ, the emphasis on man's hearts is a little surprise to you. In Matthew 5, during his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. When Jesus speaks of the heart, Jesus is speaking of your inner being. He's speaking of your emotion your will, the heart is who you are and the secrecy of your thoughts and feelings. The heart is that inner being that nobody knows but God. And as we dive into our text this morning, what we are going to find is that Jesus was angered by the religious leaders because their hearts were hard. You see, the religious leaders look good on the outside. They knew how to put on a show. They wore their suits and ties. They had their Bible tucked underneath their arm. They were faithful to service. They gave generously. You know, on the outside, they seemed a part of spiritual giants and godly saints, but on the inside, their heart was wicked. In Matthew 23, Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. He says, For you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead man's bones, and all uncleanness. Listen, Jesus says, even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. You know, often when, as Christians, we think of those with hard hearts, right? This idea of having a hardened heart, we think of those that are rough and rugged. We think of thugs and bikers. We think of drug addicts and drug dealers. We think of murderers and thieves, but as we see in our text, as Jesus speaks to those with hardened hearts, the object of his anger is the religious. That's who I want to speak to this morning. You know, David says in Psalms 139, he cries out to God and says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there is any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You know, that's my prayer for us this morning, for the believer and the unbeliever, that as we look at this text, that we would ask God to search us and know us, to show us if there's anything in our hearts that leads us away from him. So I ask the question this morning, 
how is your heart? How is your heart? You know, and as I asked that question, the good news is that this is not some mystical question that you have to throw in the air to God and pray and hope that he's going to magically, mysteriously give you some type of proverbial thumbs up or thumbs down, but rather it is a question that can be answered and diagnosed by the reading of Scripture. Has anybody in here ever had car issues before? Raise your hand if you had car issues, right? Two hands, right? All, all the time, right? So typically when your car is about to die or your car is starting to act up, there are some signs and some symptoms that first happen. You know, that little light on your dash lights up. And if you ignore it, more lights come on. And then before you know it, you have like this Christmas tree on your dash. Or you're driving down the road and you begin to hear a squeaking noise. And if you ignore that squeaking noise, oftentimes it turns into a grinding noise. Ask me how I know that. See, our cars let us know when something is wrong with them. And this morning, I want to help us diagnose through the teaching of this scripture, whether or not we, like the Pharisees, have hardened hearts. Look at verse 23 with me. Verse 23 says, Now it happened that he went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and as they went, his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain. And the Pharisees said to him, Look, why do they do what is not lawful on Sabbath? So as we come to our text this morning, we find Jesus and his disciples walking through a field of grain. Listen, Jesus was an itinerant preacher. Even though Jesus' home base was in Capernaum, Jesus was constantly on the move. Jesus was going from city to city, from synagogue to synagogue, teaching the good news of the kingdom of God. So it's no surprise to see Jesus and his followers walking, especially on the Sabbath. He was probably walking to a synagogue in order to teach. But the text says that as they're walking, they're walking through a grain field, and as they walk through this grain field, Jesus' disciples are grabbing the heads of grain. And what they would have been doing was they were taking the heads of grain, they would have been rubbing them between their fingers to separate the shaft from the rest of the grain so that they could eat the raw grain as they're walking through this field. And the Bible says as they pluck these heads of grains, the Pharisees come up to them. They're like, ah, we got you. He says, you and your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. You know, as I read this, my first question is, where in the world did they come from? I mean, it doesn't say that the Pharisees were walking with Jesus and his disciples. You know, they hated Jesus and his disciples. I can just imagine them like hiding, you know, behind corn stalks, hiding behind a tree, trying to spy on and watch Jesus and see if they can trip him up, doing something that he's not supposed to be doing and apparently they think that they have you know for those of us that read this passage even today we might be tempted ourselves to think the pharisees finally got jesus like jesus why are you walking through a man's field of crops and then not only are you walking through his field of crops but as you're walking you're taking his crop and eating it for yourself I mean, could you imagine going down the road here in Ohio and you go past a cornfield and you see just this ragtag group of people that obviously don't work there, obviously have no business in this field, just walking throughout the field, just grabbing corn, sticking it in their purse, just chewing on the corn as they're walking. You know, if you saw that, you'd probably find a farmer not far behind them with a shotgun saying, get out of my field. 
But the thing is that the unlawful act was not trespassing. So when you do excavation of historical Jewish sites, there's no, no trespassing signs. They didn't have private property the same way that we do, but rather footpaths during Jesus' day would typically follow the quickest route between point A and point B, which oftentimes went through the middle of a farmer's field, right? So they're not trespassing, but what about taking this man's grain? Surely that's stealing, right? But it's not. That's not unlawful either. The law of the gleaner, which we read about and learned about in the book of Ruth and is explained in Leviticus, was intended to help care for the poor and the needy. So God had instituted this system where when farmers would plant their fields, they would have to intentionally leave a little bit so the poor and the needy could come by and have help themselves to some of it to help care for them as well. But this law also extended to those who were traveling. So in Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 25, the Bible says, When you come into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the heads with your hand, but you shall not use a sickle on your neighbor's standing grain. So Jesus and his disciples are not in the wrong by trespassing. They're not in the wrong by plucking the grain as they walk. But rather, the accusation of the Pharisees, is that by plucking the grain, Jesus and his disciples were breaking the Sabbath. The institution and the keeping of the Sabbath was one of the Ten Commandments that was given by God to Moses. You go to Exodus 20, verse 8 says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor, do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. The Sabbath day was to be a day of complete rest from secular work following six days of strenuous labor. So as the Pharisees watch Jesus and his disciples, they interpret Jesus' disciples grabbing the grain as harvesting crops and making a meal. So therefore, in their eyes, these followers of Jesus and Jesus are working on the Sabbath, and so they have caught them breaking the law. But then I want you to look at Jesus' response. Look at verse 25. But he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and hungry? He and those with him. How he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar the high priest and ate the showbread, which is not lawful to eat except for the priest, and also gave some to those who were with him. Jesus begins defending his disciples by appealing to Scripture. He's like, hold up, wait just a minute. Haven't you ever read the scriptures? Listen, don't let anybody tell you Jesus was not funny, that Jesus didn't have a sense of humor. This is ironic, right? The Pharisees are the the masters of the scripture, the masters of law. They had read the scriptures. And Jesus is like, you guys are accusing me of this. But if you would read the scriptures, you would know that when David was in need and hungry, that he also broke the law. As you go to 1 Samuel 21, you find David running from King Saul. And as David is running from King Saul, he comes across the high priest in the city of Nob. And when he gets there, he asks the high priest, he says, is there anything for me to eat? 
David had been on the run for a couple of days. He didn't have time to stop. He didn't have time to eat, to get something to eat. And so he's, he's in need. He's hungry. He's tired. And the men that are with him are as well. And the high priest says to him, he says, I don't have any common bread. I don't have any regular bread for you to eat. But there is holy bread or show bread. The show bread was 12 loaves of bread that would have been placed in the tabernacle as an offering to the Lord weekly. And having nothing but holy bread, the priest gives this holy bread to David and to his men in order for them to eat it. Now, according to Leviticus 24, the holy bread could only be eaten by priests. Listen, David was not a priest. But David, the man after God's own heart and the one who the Jews boasted about when suffering was given what according to the law was illegal for him to have. So Jesus says, just as the needs of David took precedence over the law, the needs of myself and my disciples take precedence over the law. Now, I want to, one thing I want you to understand, if you go to Matthew's account of this, this, this instance, in Matthew 12, verse 1, it says that Jesus and his disciples were hungry. This isn't like me and you where we had breakfast at 8 o'clock and now about 1 o'clock our stomach's grumbling. But rather, this is a true hunger. They were in dire need. And as you look at the life of Jesus, Jesus was not wealthy. Jesus depended on other people. His followers depended on other people to provide for them. And so he had probably gone a couple of days without having anything to eat. So as they're walking through this grain field, they see this as a blessing from God. So they're taking the grain and they're filling their stomach. But after Jesus appeals to both scripture and necessity, he says, listen, we needed to do it. He then follows up by saying that the Pharisees misunderstood the law of God. Look at verse 27. Verse 27, Jesus says, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. They were accusing Jesus and his disciples of breaking the Sabbath. But Jesus says they didn't even understand the true meaning of the Sabbath. You know, this continues today. Today, across denominations, you see people arguing about the Sabbath, about what can you do on the Sabbath? What can you not do on the Sabbath? What day is the Sabbath? The Sabbath was created by and it was modeled by God when he created the world. It was an intentional day of rest. It was meant to be a day to renew. It was meant to be a day to, to kind of revitalize yourself after a long week. It was a day that was set apart for rest and for things that were holy. So on the Sabbath, they would go to synagogue. They would learn about God. Listen, the Sabbath was put in place to be a blessing to man. Yet the Pharisees had turned the Sabbath into a burden. The Pharisees misunderstood the meaning of the Sabbath because they misunderstood the purpose of God's law. Listen, as we have discussed in the past, the Pharisees and the religious leaders viewed the law of God as a means to attain righteousness. That if I follow these rules, these regulations, and that means that I am right with God, that I am holy before God. So since in their eyes, their righteousness was based on their adherence to the law, they began to add rules to their rules to keep them from breaking that law. 
right? So it'd be like if my mom said, hey, you can't drive the car after 10 o'clock. So to make sure I don't drive the car after 10 o'clock, I then make a rule that says at 9 o'clock, the, cars have to be, the keys have to be put in a different room. And, you know, at 9.30, I have to put blocks behind the tires so that I don't get in the car and drive away. So in order to not break the law, they then begin to add all these extra rules on top of the law so that they didn't break it and therefore could consider themselves as righteous. Listen, when God gave the Sabbath, God said, don't work. But he didn't give a whole lot of specifics about what that looked like. And the problem for the Pharisees was it was not black and white enough for them. The Pharisees added 39 extra rules. They added 39 extra regulations for man to follow to make sure that they didn't break the Sabbath. So now on the Sabbath, this day that God has instituted for rest, for renewal, rather than being rest and revitalized, God's people were stressed out because they're trying to make sure that they're not breaking any of these 39 man-made rules and traditions that have been instituted by the Pharisees. In short, the Sabbath day had become a crushing burden. It was a symbol of the religious bondage that had captured the nation of Israel. And then Jesus finishes up by saying, not only do you misunderstand the purpose of the Sabbath, but you still don't exactly understand who I am. Verse 28 says, therefore, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. Listen, this is another statement of Authority, as you go throughout the Gospel of Mark, the authority of Jesus is a repeating theme that you will find. Jesus says, I am Lord even over Sabbath. Look, the Pharisees had set up strict laws regarding how to observe the Sabbath. And in essence, because of that, they made themselves Lord of the Sabbath. They're trying to tell Jesus how to apply and how to interpret the law, but Jesus is proclaiming that he is the one that exercises authority even over the rules and regulations that govern the Sabbath day. Listen, Jesus was proclaiming to the world, he was proclaiming to the legalistic Pharisees that he is greater than the law. And that as God in the flesh, he was the author of the law. They're sitting there trying to tell Jesus, who was there when the law was made, who commanded the law, how to follow the law. So Jesus defends his disciples by exposing the bondage of man-made extra-biblical tradition. And then he exclaims his own authority over the Sabbath. As we look at the example of the Pharisees, the first thing I want for you to understand is that Oftentimes, a hard heart begins when you start to elevate tradition and preference over truth. Listen, the disciples had not broken God's law. They had only violated the Pharisees' strict interpretation of the law. You know, as you look at the accusations of the Pharisees against Jesus all throughout Scripture, what you'll find is that they often held tradition either at the same authority or over Scripture. In Mark chapter 7, the Pharisees approach Jesus and they ask him, they say, why don't you and your disciples follow the traditions of the elders? And Jesus looks at them and quoting the prophet Isaiah, he says that they have begun to teach as doctrine, as, as biblical truth, the commandments of men. 
You know, Christians understand the danger of taking away from Scripture. We understand how dangerous that can be to not apply all of Scripture to our life, to remove Scripture, to remove verses. But can I say to you that there is an equal danger in adding to Scripture? This is why we have to be careful about traditions and preferences and our beliefs that aren't directed by, that aren't, I'm sorry, backed by a direct commandment from God. Because when you begin to elevate your preferences to the place of Scripture, when someone doesn't adhere to your tradition, or someone doesn't have the same preference as you, now, like the Pharisees, you view them in your heart as lawbreakers. You view them in your heart as not right with God when they didn't break the commandment of God. They broke the commandment of you. Listen, the way this leads to a hard heart is that often we can allow our traditions and man-made rules to become a litmus test for what it means to be a good Christian. Now, in my eyes, for you to be right with God, you've got to read the same Bible translation as me. In order for you to be right with God, you've got to listen to the same music. You've got to dress the same way. And the list can go on and on and on and on. There's no limits to it. And listen, what I'm not trying to do is destroy traditions. But rather, I'm trying to destroy idols. Because tradition without truth is idolatry. It's in church tradition without truth is idolatry. So a hard heart often begins when we allow our traditions become the bar for our holiness. But then I want you to see where that leads to. Look with me at the beginning of chapter 3, verse 1. Verse 1 says, And he entered the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a withered hand. So they watched him closely, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath. Listen, so that they might accuse him. So now in a different scenario, a different time, Jesus enters into a synagogue on the Sabbath. And as Jesus enters into the synagogue, there is a man that is there with a deformed hand. And as he walks in, the Pharisees are looking at Jesus, wondering if he is going to heal this man's hand. You know, I can't help but wonder if this was a trap that was set by the Pharisees. If they, knowing the heart of Jesus, purposely took this man with a deformed hand, placed him in the synagogue to see if Jesus, being compassionate, would help. You know, one of the 39 traditions of the Jewish law was that healing was unlawful on the Sabbath, unless it was a life or death situation. And healing a deformed hand is not life or death. You know, but even as you look at this situation, as they're probably trying to set Jesus up, what's even crazier about it is that they recognize the power of Jesus. Look, they don't look and say, let's see if Jesus can heal his hand. They know that Jesus can heal this man's hand, but rather what they are concerned with and what they are worried about is whether or not he would do it on the Sabbath. You know, one thing I think that is worth mentioning is that if you are a Christian, and the world knows you are a Christian, just like Jesus, 
you are going to be under a scrupulous eye. I mean, look at verse 2. They watched him closely. Why? So that they might accuse him. Listen, when you publicly proclaim Christ, which you should be, you just need to make sure that you also publicly and privately live for Christ. Listen, there is a world that is watching closely, that is waiting to accuse, and you don't want your life or your testimony to be the reason that an unbeliever walks away from Christ, that an unbeliever refuses to accept Christ because your walk does not match your talk. So as Jesus walks into the synagogue, all eyes are on him. And knowing the heart and the motives of the Pharisees, Jesus calls out to the man with a deformed hand. He says, come here, step forward. And Jesus puts this man on center stage. And then as this man is on center stage, Jesus turns to the crowd and he asks him a question. Right? So up to this point, they've been asking the ones asking Jesus all these questions. And so now Jesus flips. He's like, you know what? Let me ask you a question. Look at verse 4. Verse 4, Jesus says, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? Jesus, knowing their hearts, comes down to the question of sins of commission and sins of omission. Listen, sins of commission is willfully doing something that violates God's commandment. It's knowing that I'm doing this, that knowing that I'm violating God's commandment, doing it on purpose. But a sin of omission is knowing what is right to do, yet failing to do it. By refusing to do good to this person that was, on, that was in need on the Sabbath, the Pharisees were committing sins of omission. And therefore, they were committing evil. In Matthew's account of this instance, he says that Jesus says to the Pharisees, what man is there among you who has one sheep, and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not lay hold of it and lift it out? Listen, he says, of how much more value then is a man than a sheep? And then listen, Jesus says, therefore, it is lawful to do good on Sabbath. One man said, not to do good when it is in the power of our hand to do it, is to do evil. Not to save a life when we can is to kill. You know, and the thing about this text, though, is as Jesus questions the Pharisees, look at their response. The Bible says they remained silent. Could you just imagine the tension that is there in this room? You know, it says that Jesus was angered. Jesus was grieved. As Jesus looks at them, he says, listen, is it lawful to do good? And they just sit there with this smug look and these hard hearts. And they just ignore the question of Jesus. You know, by their lack of words, what they're basically saying is that keeping their tradition is more important than helping a man who is in need. And grieved and angered by their hard hearts, Jesus was moved to compassion for the suffering and heals this man's deformed hand. And as you look at verse 6, what's even more wild is that, once again, proving the hardness of their hearts, proving how far they truly were from God. Rather than repenting of their sin, rather than saying, woe is me, Lord, please forgive me, 
they leave the synagogue and plot to kill Jesus. Listen, this is what I want you to see. If the elevation of tradition and preferences is the source of a hard heart, a lack of compassion for man is the symptom. Listen, we get to the point of having a hard heart when we elevate our traditions, our preferences, and we look at people through the lens of, are you following these rules? That's how it starts. But then when our hearts are hardened, we know that our hearts are hardened by whether or not we have compassion for human suffering. And we have compassion for human souls. The religious leaders in Jesus' day valued obedience to the law over caring for people. Listen, the rules of God were established to help his people to stay in a right relationship with him and with others. But the Jews had grown so concerned with following the law that they missed the heart of the law. Listen, the heart of the law was to help them to have a dependence on God and a sense of humility, recognize that they cannot follow the law. And listen, by missing the heart of the law, they misunderstood the heart of God. And by misunderstanding the heart of God, they fail to have the compassion of God. This is why Jesus was angered. This is why Jesus was grieved. Jesus was mad because they had allowed the traditions of men to get in the way of doing what is right. Essentially what Jesus is saying in the synagogue is that it's always the right time to do the right thing. It's always the right time to do the right thing. Listen, to be a Christian means to be a Christ follower. To be a Christ follower means to practice the words and the ways of Jesus. And as we've seen repeatedly just throughout the first two chapters of Mark, we're about a tenth of the way through the Gospel of Mark, and we've already seen that one of the core characteristics of Jesus is his compassion for people. The thing is, it's hard to be compassionate when you're constantly looking for the shortcomings and others. It's hard to be compassionate when you're more busy looking for the wrong in somebody's life in order to condemn and criticize them, rather than looking for the good in order to commend and encourage them. Listen, elevating tradition over truth reinforces feelings of of spiritual superiority. Makes me feel like I'm so much better than you. It's a man-centered theology and not a Christ-centered way of life. Listen, it focuses on the external behavior rather than the internal issues of the heart. And what's crazy is what Jesus is saying. He's saying that the whole time while you are judging the hearts of others, in reality, your heart is far from God. The Pharisees were so enamored with their traditions that they let their traditions, they let what they, their man-made rules and regulations come before human needs. And Jesus was bitter to tears to the point of, of he was grievous, he was angry at their lack of love for hurting humans. But catch this, all the while claiming to worship God in the synagogue. In the synagogue. You know, as I look at this text and I just look at this example that is before me, I... Just ask myself, am I playing the part of a Christian? 
Or am I actually being a Christian? Am I being a Christ follower? Am I claiming to worship God while at the same time dismissing the suffering of all those around me? Have I allowed my preferences? Have I allowed my traditions? Have I allowed my convictions to get in the way of me loving God and loving people? Listen, when I see people, how do I see them? Do I see them as sinners who are far from God and wicked and vile, which sinners are, but I am too? Or do I see them as sinners who are in need of the love and mercy and grace of God? You know, am I judging all those outside of my tradition? Am I judging all those who do things differently than me? You know, when I look at my life, and at the beginning I say this is a diagnostic sermon. I want to look at this. I want to look at the example of the Pharisees and ask questions of myself. I want to search my own heart, ask God to show if there's anything in me that is like this. When I look at myself, can I say, you know, I have lost compassion. And if you can say that, can I urge you this morning to not be like the Pharisees. Don't sit there and silent, smug, refusing to admit you're wrong, but rather, can I urge you to repent of your pride, to give your heart to Christ. Ask God to give you a heart like Christ that always does the right thing, even when it's not comfortable. Listen, this is it right here, right? This is my sermon in one sentence. If you missed everything I said, I want you to at least hear this, all right? As we do a diagnosis of our heart and the hardness of our heart. From this text, what we find is that your heart is out of tune with Jesus when you begin to elevate preferences and traditions over Scripture and when you fail to be compassionate. That's it. And listen, as I close this morning, I want to remind you that just as the Sabbath was originally intended and instituted to give man rest from his labors, so did Christ come to provide you rest. Listen, Christ came to provide you Rest from achievement. Christ came to provide you rest from earning your righteousness, to provide you rest from trying to work out or work for your salvation. Listen, because of the sacrifice of Christ on the cross, we can now forever cease to labor to attain God's favor. And instead, we can rest in his grace and his mercy. Every head bow and eyes closed.